Well, good morning, Willow Park Church. My name is Glenn, and I'm excited to be able to bring the word to you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, please grab them and turn to Nehemiah. And uh, if you have your mobile device, you can switch that on and ignore all the notifications. Go straight to your Bible app. And uh, we're just going to read one verse as we continue our journey through Nehemiah. And we're building on what uh, Phil shared last week about confession. The week before that was about the reading of the Bible, what Nehemiah had done is he'd called the people together because the wall had been finished. And so now they're gathering the people to give them further instructions as to what's, how do we continue in this ongoing freedom. And so we're going to read just one verse, uh, Nehemiah 9.38, and then we're going to jump into the New Testament as well. It says this, because of all this... We make a firm covenant, a promise in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. They're saying, look, this is, this is really important, what I'm about to share with you. What I'm about to say to you, and you can see it in, in chapter 10, is they give lots of instructions to the people. They make a covenant. They make promises as to how they are going to obey God. How they're going to obey God. I'm going to share really just one point this morning, and, and, it, and it's this. It's just this one point. True freedom comes from obeying God. True freedom comes from obeying God. When I was, uh, when I was courting my wife, we'd been married 23 years this year, so when we were still kind of dating and, and courting, I used to work in a, an efficient chip shop. Now, as you know, if you've ever visited Britain, fish and chip shops are just a sacred part of the community. The, the, the local chippy, Friday night chippy, and, and, I, and I got a job as, as a friar, not one of those where you can like bald on the top and wear like Robin Hood, not that kind of friar, but somebody used to fry the extremely healthy, nutritious, beautiful, non-stodgy British Food. That was my, my job. And, and I remember each day I could eat chips and I used to have a chicken pie because it just, it, I just seemed to, I was 130, 140 pound when I got married. Like, that's one leg now. Um, but I could just eat and consume. I loved it. But also, um, I used to bike a lot. And the reason I biked was not out of pleasure, because if you saw my bike, you would understand this was not something I really was passionate about. I biked around about seven or eight miles every day to go and see my, my girlfriend, my now wife, Sarah. Now, have, the, I used to live in this place where there was this, this promenade. And uh, when I say promenade, I know things like Downton Abbey might spring to mind, just this beautiful walk along the promenade. Just take that, this is real. Phil, describe real in one word. Dull. Dull. That's fair enough. At that time, real, real, what did you say? Yes, dumps probably. This has been recorded. We might, it's a beautiful place if anybody from real is watching. My mum-in-law to name, that was Pastor Phil that said it was a dump. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. At that time, 
they were pumping detergent into the, uh, into the sea and it used to froth up in the wind and brown, stodgy stuff would fly through the air. There's nothing romantic and nice about this place. The wind would blow and I would be biking and, and, it's, and you'd get in the back of your throat. It was disgusting. Why was I willing to put myself through so much hardship? Because of my love for who I was going to go and see. I would have done anything to go and see the one that I had committed my heart to at that moment. You see, that obedience, that obedience to Sarah, if you like, comes from a deep love. It's freeing. It's a wonderful thing. I never complained about it. Well, that's probably not true. I I probably did complain a little bit. But you come second to the one that you love, don't you? You should. Jesus first, and then we come somewhere down the list. So obedience and freedom are actually linked. Look what Jesus said in, in the New Testament. He said, to the Jews who believed him in. So this is, these are Christians. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. We're going to see in a minute what he means by hold to my teaching. But if you're obedient to what I say, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This room is filled with people whose lives bear testament and witness to how Jesus completely transforms the weak, the sinful, the shameful, the addicted, the abused, that those whose lights have gone off. He turns a light back on in life. I used to work with young people and and even little guys and little girls, you'd look at them and the light had already gone off. Because of things that had happened to them or around them, things that they'd witnessed or things that they'd maybe done, the light had gone off and Jesus comes into the world and Jesus comes into our lives and he brings a light, a transformational joy, a, a love, a sense of being forgiven. Because dwelling in the cover of that cross and everything that that represents actually forges this light in our lives. But maybe you're sat saying, Glenn, I've been a Christian a long time and, and the light's just not as bright as it used to be. I want to tell you that there's obed- in, in obedience there's freedom. There's light. There's joy in obeying God. And, and, and I want to share this morning as we go through how good life can be when you obey God. And now if you're, if you're here and you're just kind of trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing and this is just one of many ideas that you're exploring, we love that you're here. We want to be a church where you feel welcome and, and feel free to be able to explore that. But if you reject anything that I say today or anything that the Bible says, it won't be because it's not good enough. In fact, the life that Jesus offers is too good to be true. You might go, oh, no, it can't be that simple. But it is. You see, you only need to look at the life that Jesus lived as an example of what he offers to us. Jesus said, living free and having a fulfilled life means you have to be obedient to God. Now, that insults our idea of what freedom might be. Well, how can I be free if I have to obey something? But the reality is, and please listen, this is very true for every one of us. Every one of us is obeying something in the hope that we will find fulfillment and freedom. 
Let me say it again. Every one of us is obeying something in the hope that we will find fulfillment and freedom. The question is, what is it that you're obeying? Not if you're obeying, what are you obeying? So what is freedom? I had a, I had a bit of a right old time this week researching what different people think freedom is. I went from Marxism to Frankel, and I was really enjoying reading all this, thinking, how am I going to get this to my sermon? And, and you can relax. It's not coming. I just kind of summarized what a general theme was from what the Bible says is freedom and what philosophy seems to say freedom is. And, and this seems to be a good definition that I found. True freedom is being able to fulfill that which you desire to do most. Freedom isn't physical freedom because you can actually, Frankel showed this as a, as, a, as a prisoner in the war camps, you can be constrained physically but still feel free internally. So freedom, true freedom, is being able to fulfill that which you desire most. So the next question has to be, what is it that we desire most? If we find freedom in fulfilling that which we desire most, what do we desire most? I want to suggest that there's a commonality across humanity where we all want the same thing. We all have the same deep down desires. Question is, is whether that which you're obeying brings those desires and brings that freedom. You look at Jesus and you see a, a human example of what freedom actually is. You see somebody who's, who's courageous yet sensitive. He's convicted and, but approachable. He's tough. But he has this empathy, he's under pressure, and yet living at peace. See, deep down, we're designed to live like Jesus. And even if you're skeptical about Jesus, you cannot deny that the, uh, the, the, uh, the parts of his life, those beautiful aspects of life, we actually find admirable. Peace and joy and love and kindness and gentleness and generosity. Do you have that? Or do you have kind of periphery desires that you're trying to fulfill and trying to find freedom in? See, what we do is we take really good God-given things and we make them ultimate. And then they destroy us. I'll give you some examples. We take something wonderful. I've already mentioned food once. I love food. I love fish and chips. I love, I, love, I love food a little bit too much. I have to work harder now than I used to in order to, to try and stay, you know, fit through a door. <laughs> but I love food. We love food. Food is good. But we have made it center. We've made it ultimate. And what is it doing? It's destroying us. It's very disappointing to hear how much sugar is in certain drinks that I like to drink from certain high street coffee shops. Yesterday, It's destroying us. You take something good like sex. Sex is a God-given gift. It's a a wonderful thing. But we make it ultimate in our society. And what does it do? It destroys us from the inside out. You take something like drink or alcohol or wine. It's a a God-given thing. But we make it ultimate. And it slowly destroys us. Our relationships, we make them ultimate. That if only I had this relationship. And then slowly, if we make that our thing that we're hoping to find freedom in, it'll slowly destroy us. Possessions, the list can go on. See, our culture gets caught up in things that ultimately do not bring freedom, although we are convinced that they will. 
She might say, Glenn, you know what? This whole obedience to God thing is way too restrictive. I mean, boy, you read through chapter 10, there's some rules there. You might go, you know, I like to be free, Glenn. I like to not have to obey rules. I like to just be able to do what I want and when I want. And you know what? That's a fair question. When you come to follow Jesus, there are things that Jesus says, come follow me, do this and don't do that. But I want to tell you, it's far less restrictive than the culture that we live in. Think about what our culture preaches. Our culture preaches freedom of choice. As long as you choose what we say, you have to choose. So you've got to dress a certain way. Go to certain places, drive certain car, wear a certain perfume or cologne. You've got to speak a certain way, have certain values. You can't go there. You must go there. You've got to have a certain home. You've got to have a certain look. You've got to say certain things. The list goes on and it's exhausting. And and you're telling me that's freedom? That's not freedom. That's not freedom. One of the uh, largest confirmations of the call of God to move from Surrey to Kelowna as a family was that I no longer needed to visit quite as often a certain place that I had grown to hate from the depth of my being in a godly way called Ikea. (laughs) Personally, I think you spell Ikea H-E-L-L. Because the thing with Ikea is, is that you go there and, and it's basically you walk away with a box filled with furniture that you need to put together. And I look at this thing and go, this is just an argument in a box. This is just an argument ready to happen when I get home. And my wife and I start putting this thing together. We've been married 23 years, but you know, this is going to challenge it. Because you don't go into a sweater shop and they don't give you a ball of wool and some knitting needles and say... Go and make it yourself and have a nice argument while you do it. I want a piece of furniture made. The biggest thing that I find frustrating about Ikea, after you've got your $1 hot dog, and, which is always at the end, actually. I've just thought about that. If it was at the beginning, the whole experience would be much better. But do you, how many of you love Ikea? We have a special prayer ministry available <laughs> at the end for all of you. But when you go in, they assume... That you actually can't think for yourselves, and so they put arrows on the floor. And what do you do? I look at these arrows, and I just follow them. Wherever it takes me, thinking, if I keep following this, I'm going to get to the hot dogs and freedom. But no, it's arrow, arrow, oh, now it's marketplace. Oh, dear Lord. And then you go follow Arrow, and then it's kitchens and bathrooms, and then it's, then it's living rooms and bedrooms. And you just think, I'm never going to get out of this place, which is why H-E-L-L fits for me. Now, I think Maul is actually spent H-E-L-L. It's a little bit without the arrows. You see, you keep following these arrows. You don't find freedom. You just find more stuff to buy. It's a great picture of life. Our culture says, follow these arrows. Just keep obeying, just keep on following, you'll get freedom eventually, and it's a constant lie, because all you find is kitchen and bathrooms and marketplace and other stuff to frustrate you and find difficult, and there isn't even a hot dog at the end. There's no freedom. See, the arrows that our culture provides gives you freedom. 
You are obeying something in the hope that it brings you freedom. So there's another question. Glenn, are you telling me that I have to obey God in order to find freedom? Can I not find freedom in other ways? Can I not find love and joy and peace and kindness without following God? No. And and here's why. I'm going to show you why. Because you have to come to a conclusion as to whether God is an object or a person. See, we're surrounded by objects. We're surrounded by good things that have been invented and given to us to serve our needs. They bend into us what we want, and they serve us. If the object doesn't provide what we want it to provide, we get rid of that object and we go and look for another object that will give us what we need. Is that fair? If you treat God like an object, somebody who has no presence, no personality, then you will give and take and, oh yeah, I'll have a bit of, I I like the meditation bit, I'll take a bit of that. Or I like church at Christmas because it makes me feel all warm and snug and I like the apple cider. I'll have a bit of that. But I don't, want, I don't want all the other stuff. And so you treat God like an object. And the thing with objects, we don't like what the object does and we get rid of it. And so if you come to God with this object thinking, if God actually allows stuff to happen in your life that you don't like or asks something of you that you don't like, then what do you do? You just reject it. We're surrounded by objects that are there to serve our needs. But if you approach God like that and say, God, you've got to bend to my needs, then you will never experience true freedom. Jesus said, and he made it really clear, and he personalized God. The Bible makes God a person who cares and loves, and is present, is my teaching, my disciples. There's this, these beautiful pronouns through the New Testament that talk about God being a person. You can, you can, he can, the Holy Spirit can withdraw, you can insult him, and, and, and he, can, he can bind close, he can comfort. There's this personality to God, and Jesus makes God a person. Our culture objectifies God. Please listen to this. I really felt this was an important word for people to hear. All, all New Age practices and all Eastern religions have one thing in common. They have one thing in common. God is not a he. God is an object, is an energy, a force. Not someone, but a thing. Takes away personality and takes away the ability to know this God personally and will give you a long list of things that you must do in order to get to know this energy while at the same time knowing you can't know an object. You can only really truly know a person. So do these things, put yourself into these certain positions, go stretch three times a week, breathe in a certain way, think on this, do this, don't do this, 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 rule, 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 while all the time telling you a lie that you're actually going to meet something personal and you're not. Because listen, friends, you can't come to a cosmic energy and ask them questions. Because if you do, you say, God, I... I don't know what to do with my children right now. 
You know what you're going to get if you see God as an object or as an energy in a new agey kind of way that you're obeying, thinking you're going to find freedoms? You know what you're going to get when you come to that, asking significant questions that you are desperate for the answer for? This is what you're going to get. Nothing. God, how do I run my business? Silence. How do I use my money? Silence. How do I deal with the sin and the shame and the regret that I have in my life? Silence. You're going to get nothing. You can go and hug a tree and rub a crystal on your forehead. It ain't going to give you any answers to your life. All it does is sows the lie that somehow you're going to find freedom by doing so. And the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But God, God is a dad, he's a friend. He's a partner, he's a brother, he knows, he cares, he loves. To an energy, it's like, what do I do with my future? Silence. To God, what do I do with my future? Let me show you. Let me show you how you live your life. See, this is what I mean. If you reject this message, it's not because it's not good enough. It's because it's too good to be true. Imagine having someone in your life daily there that you can connect with and hear from and read about and get to know that is there no matter what you go through. is always present, always there, always speaking. That's too good to be true. No, it's too good and it's true. See, people want their lives enriched without personalizing or obeying God. Why? Because they want to keep in control, believing foolishly that if they just follow the arrows, that one day the culture will actually reveal itself as giving them freedom. But don't ask me to obey God. It's too restrictive. So what are you obeying? What are you turning to for your answer? Will it fail you? Are you looking at money or ambition or fitness or looks or or yoga or new age or what what are you looking to for your freedom? Will it fail you? Is it intrinsically connected on your ability to keep going? Does it depend on other people around you? God is a God in the Bible, is a person. Do you want that person? That no matter where you go, he's right there. That's the promise that comes. So how does obeying this God bring freedom? Right back to when I said that I was willing to jump on my bike for seven miles. Because I love them, there's, there's freedom. Because if there's somebody else in your life that is more important than you, then it's freeing. Because if God is the God who he says he is, and he is, and many people, you bear testament to that, then, then if he is, then no matter what happens to you in life, you have an answer. Christians, you should know that, that as you walk through life, there's a God there who cares and loves and loves you enough to go through difficult things so that you, you can become more like his son, but your, your importance diminishes as you get to know him. As you obey him more, your freedom increases because you decrease. You become less important. So you get overlooked for a promotion at work, that's Okay. Because my God is the Alpha and Omega. He'll supply all my needs. And I must not have needed that promotion right now. Freedom. Do you see? Somebody cuts you up in traffic. You're like, let's turn up Hillsong, Oceans. That's all good. 
Praise God, because I'm not the most important thing in this universe. God is. You know, your kids are driving you nuts, and we love our kids, but boy, they can push you, can't they? You go, wow, they're not the most important thing in the world. I'm not the most important thing in the world. God is, and he has an answer. Gosh, children are a catalyst to pray, aren't they? And I haven't even got grandkids yet. But I'm going to guess it's just the same. How many of you would say amen? Grandparents, yes. Thank God for grandparents that pray. So how does obeying bring freedom? Because it gives you, you don't, you're not so important anymore. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I, I put this in whenever I can. Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the ultimate freedom verse. Because you know what? You let Paul live, he's free. It's all about Jesus. You kill me, that's all right, because I win again. What do you do to somebody like that? They are so free because of their obedience to God that there's nothing that life can do. There's nothing that anyone can do or say. You chain them up into the depths of a prison. What they do? I'm going to sing louder. That's freedom. And what does the world offer that's the equivalent to that? Pad out your bank account. Ain't bringing in that freedom. Because when you close your eyes and it all goes quiet, you still have you to deal with. No matter how much money you're laid on. See, the Bible, Jesus says, come follow me and you'll find freedom. So what does this look like each day? See, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, this word hold, if you obey, if you camp out, this word hold actually means to dwell, to live, to, to stay in, not to, to hold on tight, to actually make it be part of you. And so I'm going to lovingly suggest and lovingly share as a pastor that if you just come to church once a month, fitting it in, if you're just kind of grabbing your little devotional every morning and getting a one verse and a cute story, and then you're getting on with the rest of your life, that's not holding on. You're not going to find freedom in that. Freedom is found in making God's word and God's community and everything that God says that we should do as Christians central. We camp out in it. We live in it. We don't leave it. When I go home, I don't just sit and and, and live on my porch. It's cold out there, especially today. This is good British weather. I go in. I I live in each room. I, I, I use the whole house. And God says, come live. Come dwell in my word. You'll find freedom in that because he will give instructions. He'll speak. He'll say, don't stop that. Put that down. Do this. And you're saying, Glenn, does he do that? Absolutely. All the time to me. Don't do that, Glenn. Why? Why did you do that? We need to talk. <laughs> okay, God. I'm sorry. That's where freedom is found. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. There's two types of people that Psalm 1 describes. There's the, there's the, there's the, the person who seems to have fruit. 
And he likens them to a tree planted. There's a healthiness. There's a, there's a strength. There's an endurance. There's all those things that everybody really wants and desires in life. There's a, there's a strength there. Maybe even people come and enjoy the shade and find encouragement. That's one person. And then there's another type of person described that's described like chaff. It's almost like just blown around like those tumbleweeds. Yeah, you're free, but you're dead. And the difference is, is the person who is healthy and grounded and planted and and loving and joyful and has peace and has their desires fulfilled and feels free is the one who meditates on the word of God. Makes the word of God central to their life. So as I bring this to a close, I want to ask you just some questions. And Pastor Phil is going to lead us in some prayer as I jump in the car and go and do all this all over again. I got a great job. And then I do it again tonight to pursuit. And then I collapse and sleep. Let me ask you some questions. And I ask them lovingly and firmly. Is what you are following truly bringing you fulfillment and freedom? Is what you are obeying really bringing you that which deep down inside you know you were designed for? Or are you just following those arrows in the hope for a hot dog and freedom? It just doesn't work. Are you living out what you were designed for? Because friends, God is not asking you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. See, in Philippians, we, we read about a God who, who submitted himself, who humbled himself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found, sorry, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, we have a God who says, come follow me, be obedient, you'll find freedom, you'll find the life that you were designed for, and how is all this possible? Because I came to you when you hated me. I sought you out when you didn't want to even think about me. I hung on the cross and took all that sin and shame and regret and pain that you are trying to find the answer for in culture. It died with him on the cross and then he rose again. We get to celebrate this in a few weeks at Easter. He rose again and said, now I'm going to give you everything you need for this life. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. He did that for us. He humbled himself. He submitted. He emptied himself. And now he says, come do the same. And I promise you, you get a great end of the deal. Way more than a hot dog. You you just get something that is everything you were born and created for. See, once you understand that God gave himself to us, It is not a problem giving us, ourselves, to God. See, I love Sarah, and Sarah loved me. So I have no problem giving myself. And multiply that by eternity in the cosmos, you're getting close 
to the possibility that God loves you so much. He says, just come. Taste and see that I'm good. So what are you obeying and turning to for your answer? And will you find freedom and fulfillment in it? Obedience to Jesus brings freedom. Phil, why don't we pray and as we pull this together. And Father, I thank you that your word is, is good. Father, I thank you that you make it so simple for us because we are simple people. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that your promise is that you will forgive. You'll turn the light on. Lord, I pray this even as we go into some ministry and prayer right now, that Holy Spirit, you would just move in this place and convict, speak to us. Show us what it is that we're giving ourselves to in the hope we will find freedom. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would, Holy Spirit, I pray you would do the work only you can do and draw men and women and children to yourself. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.